it's a competition clinching shot. The LET Golf Podcast, the official podcast of the Ladies' European Tour. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the LET Golf Podcast, the exclusive podcast of the Ladies' European Tour, where each week we take you inside the ropes to chat to the stars of the show. I'm George Cooper, and while sadly there was no LET this week, we do have a couple of big stories to quickly round up. Firstly, a big congratulations to Katrina Matthew, who has been announced as the next GB&I captain for the 2024 Curtis Cup. Beanie, of course, led Europe to back-to-back Solheim Cup victories last year, and she'll now turn her attention to the amateur game as she becomes the first professional to captain the side. Good luck to Katrina. And secondly, it was a milestone weekend for Celine Boutier too, as the LPGA Tour produced quite the European showdown. Celine defeated Solheim Cup teammate Georgia Hall in a dramatic playoff to win the LPGA Drive-On Championship, and the win makes her the French player with the most wins in LPGA history with three titles. And on top of that, Celine now jumps into the top 10 of the Rolex World Rankings for the first time in her career as she moves into world number 8. Good news for her and good news for Suzanne Pettersson and Team Europe as we build towards this year's Solheim Cup. Right, let's get our guest on for the week. And from one informed player to another, we have India's Aditi Ashok stopping by to join the pod this week. Aditi has been in red-hot form this season, winning the magical Kenya Ladies Open and finishing second and third respectively in Morocco and Saudi Arabia. Still leading the race to Costa del Sol, Nicola Kenton sat down with the Indian star to chat about her golfing journey, her memories of playing in the Olympics, and of course her great start to the year. So without further ado, this is Aditi Ashok on the LET Golf Podcast. Enjoy. Aditi, hello, welcome to the LET Golf Podcast. It's great to have you with us today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Nicola. Thanks for having me on the podcast. No problem at all. Of course, we'd have to have the race cost of our soul leader as it stands uh for this year on our podcast after your phenomenal start to 2023 but i'm going to wind it back right to the start when did you start playing golf i believe you were five years old and why why did that happen uh i think i was just meant to play golf i guess uh, i was five and a half and me and my parents used to have breakfast on the weekends at this restaurant that was near a driving range it used to overlook the driving range and so i was just curious i think we all were curious about what was you know what was golf and we walked in as a family one day and they let us walk in and my parents inquired about lessons and i was always really talkative so i was always you know disturbing that conversation so they the coach i think there found like a cut down putter and he gave me that putter and said okay you know gave me a couple of golf balls and said you know, try learning how to putt. And I think I spent like two hours on that putting green just the very first day at the golf course. So yeah, ever since I, I, you know, and I wanted to go back and learn all parts of the game. But yeah, I started with putting and then, you know, basically wanted to learn the whole game, wanted to play on the golf course. And I played my first round of golf when I was six years and two months. And that was basically like proper 18 holes from like a 5,000 whatever, 5,000 yard, 5,800 yard golf course. So as a six-year-old now thinking back, I thought, I think that's pretty crazy to think. As a six-year-old, I played such a long golf course and after 18 holes, I wasn't even tired. I just wanted to play more holes. So I guess I just loved the sport from the beginning. I was going to say, the fact that you tackled that so early on um, and it was so long at the time, surely you were having fun because you didn't even notice it. Yeah, exactly. I think... Most I like most kids. I started on the driving range and you know chipping and all of that, but I never really enjoyed that as much. I always wanted to get on the golf course and I wanted as soon as I figured out 
what a handicap was. I wanted to get a handicap. I wanted to lower it. I wanted to, I just had all these goals that were more playing based and less driving range oriented. Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of some of your earliest golf memories, so do you remember the first time you kind of played in a competition? How old were you then? Yeah, first time I played in a, I think I was seven years old. I played a junior event. I played not very good again, because it was like 6,000 yards and it was a really hilly golf course. I think I shot like 150 or something, but it was, it was my, that was my first memory. And just being able to play two days on that hilly golf course, I think, you know, think you don't realize when you're a kid and you do this stuff, but then when you grow up and look back, it just seems like, okay, yeah, I guess I really loved it that much. And as you said, as soon as you were able to get a handicap, you wanted one. So how old were you when that happened and how quickly did that handicap start to come down? Yeah, so when I started, the first one they gave me was 36, which was whatever normal. But then, yeah, as I kept playing, I think I, I kept dropping two shots every month, which was my goal. And because of that goal, I used to want to play 18 holes every weekend. So try and get like six, five or six rounds every month. And it was hard for a kid to play 18 holes on a golf course, especially on the weekends when it's so busy. So I would, you know, I would put an alarm at like 5 a.m. so that we could be there early at 6 a.m. and be like the first ones to tee off. And I used to basically drag my dad to the golf course because, I mean, he wanted to play too, but I think I was more interested. And yeah, I guess that's how it started. But then when I played my first junior event at seven, I think my goals changed a lot. I wanted to play more against other kids my age and Compared to my regular life, which was just going to school and doing homework, this was completely different and something that I was, you know, so happy doing. I just, I wanted to play in as many junior events, then from junior to like national junior events and then international. So yeah, it just grew from there. And I'm guessing from that, that you really like the competition aspect of golf and the fact that you could play against other people. Was that really important for you? Yeah, definitely. And I think from a young age, I've always played with, like when I was seven or eight, till the age of, I think, 12, I played against boys because it wasn't really girls or boys separate. And even after the age of 12, I decided to play in the under 18 category. So even when I was playing with girls, I was playing with girls older than me. So I think from a young age, I always wanted to play and compete against better golfers in tournaments just so that I could get better as a player too. And I think that's something that kind of is is the governing thought in my mindset, even till today when I decide where I want to play or what's my goal, which events I want to focus on. That's always been, you know, my goal, trying to play against better players and better fields and doing well at those big events. So, yeah, I guess even as a kid, I was like that. And yeah. And you mentioned school previously, obviously, you know, balancing school, we're playing golf. And as you say, those weekends were taken up by you being at the golf course. But what was school like for you? Did you enjoy school at the same time as golf? Or did you kind of, how did you balance that? I enjoyed school when I was there, but I think it was a struggle for me because I, was, I wasn't present as much. So when I missed school, you know, it was a struggle to catch up. Although my school, Frank Anthony Public School here in Bangalore, they were really helpful. I think if not for them, I wouldn't have played in as many junior and amateur stuff that I did. But yeah, just being able to catch up. And the one thing my parents always told me was if you if you want to play golf, if you want to travel and play junior events, you can't be skipping school to do it. You still have to catch up. And so that was kind of my responsibility throughout school. I was never really given a free pass to miss school or miss exams. I, I just had to catch up in order to be able to play golf. So just the motivation to play golf was enough to get me through 
you know, homework and missed exams and everything. And yeah, it was definitely hard. I think it's hard for junior golfers because the weekends are the time when you get time to practice and play, but that's when the golf courses are the busiest. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge for kids, but yeah, I guess, I guess I managed through it. You definitely did. You were winning titles at the same time you were at school. So you... yeah, I mean, it was sometimes when I was at school though, I, I would, I would be like, I would have been absent for a month or maybe more sometimes. And then I'd come back. And I remember one time in ninth grade or 10th grade, I came back and it was, I think it was math class and we were doing trigonometry, which I had been absent for the whole explanation of everything. And I got down, I, I got and sat in my class and I looked at the board and I asked my friend next to me saying, what is sin? Oh, and then they said, it's sine theta. And then I said, oh, wow, I've missed a lot. I'm just going to keep quiet now. <laughs> Trigonometry is hard at the best of times, let alone when you miss them. <laughs> yeah, but it's just sometimes that was there too, that I would just, it'd be like I fell out of space and fell into a classroom and I didn't know what was going on. But yeah, my teachers were supportive. My friends helped me. So yeah, it was okay. All good in the end. <laughs> well, I'm glad. And yeah, you mentioned before, obviously, about getting to kind of national junior championships and that kind of thing. But you won that three times in a row in 2012, 13 and 14. Um, talk me through that and how much of an achievement that was for you at the time. Yeah, it was big. I think as a 14 year old, right, winning the national junior championship was it meant a lot because it's under 18. So obviously I was playing against a lot better players and. That was the tournament, I think, that if you won that, you got to play the Duke of York in the UK. So I was always really excited to play that event because I enjoyed Lynx golf and that used to happen at, at really good golf courses. And yeah, like I think it happened at Dundonald, it happened at Royal St. George's. So yeah, it's just the motivation to play in that event. That was our qualifying in India, winning the National Junior Championship. So that was the motivation for me. And yeah, it was great to, great to win that. Um, what was it like for you traveling at that time as obviously st still very young, but being able to go and play golf all over the world? Yeah, it's definitely different. When you grow up in India, I think, you know, you, maybe your idea of golf is, I think it's true for anybody who grows up and plays only in their own country. Your idea of what golf could be or what competition is, is kind of one dimensional. So I think it's important to travel, play in different countries, play against different level of golfers and play against you know, I'll play on the world stage as much as possible. So yeah, it was, sometimes it was hard because I'd never get the experience of playing in the wind or in the rain in India. So it was basically dealing with it for the first time in a tournament at, at such a big tournament. So that was hard growing up, but I think I managed okay. I just enjoyed playing golf more than so much that, you know, even the, not the weather, other stuff didn't really bother me that much. I just took everything as experience and tried to get better from it. And I know that you also represented India at the Asian Youth Games, at the Youth Olympics and the Asian Games. So talk me through those experiences, because obviously I know you're really proud to represent India when you can. Yes, definitely. And I think growing up, I never thought as a golfer I'd ever get that chance. It's an individual sport, so already the team aspect is out of it. And, and it's you do play every week, you tee it up, there is a flag by your name, but sometimes it's hard to think that you're playing for your country every week, but the games definitely brings out that mindset. And I think more than just for me, I think for the people 
in India to see golf and recognize it as a sport that's, you know, an Olympic discipline now. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I think when I first played the Asian Youth Games and Youth Olympics, that's when I really, you know, figured what the Olympics or what the Asian Games could be like. So that was about the time when I figured out that golf would be part of the Olympics. And those three or four games definitely added to my motivation to qualify for the Olympics. And then you turned for a couple of years after that, obviously the first of January 2016 was when you made the decision to turn pro. What, what, what is that like? I know obviously a lot of people, you know, weigh up that decision. Sometimes they want to go to college, sometimes they wait till afterwards, sometimes they turn pro before, but what was the decision making for you? Uh, yeah, it was difficult. I think I was also contemplating whether I should go to college in the US or, you know, turn pro at, at at 18, at 17 at the time, but eventually turned 18 that year. But I had played, I think, the Indian Open every year from the age of 13. So I had always had that LET event as like a benchmark of my performance every year. So I kind of knew where I stood as a golfer, amateur golf. I mean, not just amateur golf, but as in a professional setting. So that event really helped me. And I finished top 10 when I was 14. So I, that was when I figured that, okay, when I could turn pro and I could be a serious golfer and it could actually happen pretty soon. So, although, I mean, I did it, I finished top 10 when I was 14, but I still tried to, you know, play that every year, gain that experience. I tried to play LET events outside India. Like I played in China and Dubai and I played an access event in the UK. So yeah, just playing in all those events kind of made me realize I could be that good. Although I was contemplating college, I guess I wanted to turn professional. And I think I was world number 11 amateur before I turned pro, which is what got me into final stage of LETQ school. So yeah, that itself, I think, was a good enough world ranking for me to make that decision. But what was the first tournament that you actually went to spectate to as uh, on the LET and kind of motivated you when you were younger? Yeah, I actually, I think the first time LET played in India, I think it was 2008. And that was the first event. I don't know if it was called the Indian Open or if it was called the, it was called an Indian Masters, I think at the time. But that was the first event I, first professional women's event that I ever watched. And I was really lucky it happened like an hour from my city, Bangalore, which was cool. So yeah, I was there watching, I think the whole weekend and I saw, all, all the LET players, Laura Davies. I remember that's the one that um, Gladys Nocera won. So yeah, it was pretty cool to be at that event. And I think I was nine years old, but when I saw, you know, girls playing golf for a living and the whole atmosphere and everything, I just figured at that time that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know if it was possible or if I'd be good enough at, at any point, but I just figured I wanted to be inside the ropes and, you know, play like they did. And yeah, how great is it to see those people and see the golf, you know, up close and personal? As you said, you've been playing for a little bit, but to see competition with actual professionals, um, did that really make a difference to you? I think it did because growing up, I always watched, I mean, I barely got to watch much golf on TV. And even when I did, it was mostly men's golf, very little women's golf, if nothing, actually. So yeah, it was good to see women professionals playing in the flesh and seeing them, you know, seeing what women's professional golf could be like. So, yeah, definitely made a difference. And I think that's something that that event, you know, what it did for me, I think the Indian Open continues to do that for kids 
you know, in India, especially in Delhi, because they get to witness up close, not just the men's event, but the women's event too. Of course. And then we'll throw it back forward to uh, LET Q School, because you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> Q School, as as you say, you managed to get into the final stage through your uh, World Amateur ranking. But um, Q School's still not, not a nice week. Every golfer <laughs> hates it, but it's something that they have to do. Um, what was that like for you, that first experience at Q School? It was actually, I mean, I played really good, so people probably don't believe me, but I was really nervous, especially that first hole. I remember, I'm always a bit nervous, and you know, that first tee shot is is nerve-wracking, but not as, as, as bad as it was that week. I remember that first hole, I was just so nervous just to swing the club back, and I did eventually. I mean, I played good, just hit the fairway, hit the green, made a par, but I only, I think only I know how nervous I was because I knew that that was like the final step I had to take for my golf to, you know, finally reach that level after which I, I was going to be a professional, you know, and I was doing everything right. And I had done, I had a lot of success, but still I was a bit nervous that first hole. And then eventually, I guess, stop stopped thinking about the results, just started playing golf. And eventually five days I shot, I shot my best round of my career that week. I shot a 62 on the third day. So yeah, eventually it was just a really great week of golf for me. And then what was it like going on tour and adjusting to tour life? Obviously, you, you've done the hard part, you've made it, but now it's about, you know, getting used to life. And also, you're still so young at the time when it, when it was happening. Yeah, definitely. I turned pro when I was 17. So I think I had some experience because I played in at least, I could say at least eight, eight, or I don't remember exactly how many, how many, but at least seven or eight LET events up until then in China, Dubai, India. So I kind of knew what to expect, but again, traveling that much, you never really, I had only done one or two here and there. I had never done like as many as I was gonna do that first year. I think it helped that the first three, four months I actually had my high school exams. So I finished my high school exams my rookie year. And then when, when everything started back up, it was a bit hectic, but because I had had the three or four months of not much tournaments, I was looking forward to it. It didn't get to me too much. Like the travel didn't feel a lot. Although I was playing every other week, it didn't seem it didn't seem too hectic, which maybe in hindsight was a bit of a bit of a good thing for a rookie. But yeah, it's definitely hard for rookies, especially coming from you know India is kind of far, so traveling six eight hours, and then when you have a week off, going all the way back home. I guess it's difficult for every rookie. You know, it doesn't matter where you live. But I feel like. It was a lot of travel that first year. And as you said, once you kind of hit that um, period after the summer in September, that's when you really started to find your feet and find your form for the year. Obviously, a couple of top, some top tens, just back to back to back. What was it? As you say, was it just the fact that the school was done and you could concentrate on, on the golf? A little bit, yes, because I was kind of bogged down by the exams and studying for almost six months before that so yeah it was good that that was done after that i was just trying to play in as many tournaments i had i'd gotten into the olympics and i had that olympic experience which gave me a lot of confidence and i always knew that you know i'd finished top 10 in an let event so i knew it was possible i just had to keep playing week after week and just had to get my game to that level and i did and when i did i eventually had i think four top 10s in a row which was you know which was pretty good for me because it was kind of late in the season and 
you know, that's the time when you don't want to be trying to perform for results because, you know, you, you start thinking if you're going to keep your status and all of that. So it was good. I got those top tens, you know, four in a row, which was great. And after that, I kind of stopped thinking too much about the results and just started enjoying it a little more. And I think the more I played the later half of that year, the better I played because of maybe just lack of practice or lack of competitive practice the first half of the year. So just playing more the second half. And as I played, I felt like my game got sharper. So even though I was playing six weeks in a row, I think my sixth week in a row was the Indian Open, but I ended up winning that week. So yeah, in I was I was young enough, obviously, to be physically fine doing all that. But yeah, six, seven in a row was was good for my game. And as you say, you got that win at home in front of the home crowd, first Indian to win the Indian Open on the LET. What was that week like for you? Yeah, it was it was fun. I think I I went into it not expecting much and I'd had four top tens, but the the week before I think was Abu Dhabi and I had finished like tied forty five or something, which was not not very good, but so I was thinking that, you know, I had to play better and I was working on all parts of my game. And that's not the, that was, I think, the second year that the, that we played on the redesigned course. So it wasn't exactly the easiest, I feel isn't the easiest golf course and having even my results of the previous year in my mind, which wasn't very good again, although I played, I think 2015. Yeah, I didn't play that good. So just thinking about all, whatever was going on, I was really, I wasn't really focused on the win. I was just trying to play to my game plan, trying to maybe have another top 10, but yeah, I think I played good all week and I guess it was just meant to be. And I guess that's one event that I've always wanted to win because I've played it from the age of 13 and I've always seen, you know, elite girls come and win and we've always had Indians playing, but we never really had an Indian winner. So that was something I really wanted to do. So maybe as the week got, you know, as the week progressed and I got into the leader, I got into the leader group that definitely was on my mind. For sure. And then... After that, two weeks later, you ended up back in the winner's circle again. <laughs> Did you expect that? Uh, not really, but in a way, I guess my game was, you know, in, in a good spot. I felt like I was, I was not just with the win in India, but even the four top tens before that, which were in, you know, four really different countries. It was like Germany, Spain, China, France. So, and with so much travel as well. And I was finishing top 10 even though I didn't have maybe my complete best game, like there was stuff to improve on and I was still top 10. So just thinking about that stuff, I knew my game was where it was at. And after having that win, I knew that my good, my game, if it was good enough, it was good enough to win, not just good enough for a top 10. So it actually took some pressure off me after that. And I was, I was kind of relaxed playing that week. I think between India and Qatar, which was my second win, I think we had a week off and I don't even remember practicing that week. I was just at home, you know, chilling. And then we flew to Qatar and I think I hit balls up on when I practiced on Monday. It was the first time I was practicing in almost a week, but I guess just the confidence when you win or when you're playing good, the, you know, the practice didn't really matter that much. And I ended up playing good all four days. And that was a tough golf course for me too, but I think I was just playing really good at the time. So yeah, I guess I won that one too. And then obviously you ended up being rookie of the year at the end of the year how kind of did that make you feel were you really proud it's quite a prestigious title to win and all the people who've won it before and obviously after you 
Yes, definitely. I think as a rookie, that's everybody's goal. And I had missed a bunch of events in the beginning of the year because of my exams. And the first event I got to play, I think, was uh, I played New Zealand in Jan. But the next event I got to play, which was in May, I think April or May, which was Morocco. And Nuria, who was also a rookie that year, she won. So at that time, I was like, I, if you had asked me if I thought I could win Rookie of the Year, I probably wouldn't have said yes, because I thought there was a rookie that already won. But I just, you know, told myself that it's it's a whole season and you've played good golf to get here. So just, you know, put your head down and keep working at it. And yeah, it was obviously great to win, win the Rookie of the Year. My goal was obviously to get a win on the LET and I won twice that year, which was fantastic. But yeah, seeing the names that have won the Rookie of the Year in the past and just that 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 award i guess solidified my decision because it meant that i was you know i was good enough to turn pro because you always think you are or you assess yourself but when the results speak for it then it it makes your decision all the more satisfying what has that been like for you obviously having status on the lpga and having it on the let and kind of going back and forth and playing few events here, a few events there. <laughs> What's that been like? It's been, it's been hard. I wouldn't say it's easy. I think for any player trying to play two tours, it is difficult. And especially with the LPGA having most of the events from, I think, most of the full field events from March to November, it, it, it kind of leaves you a smaller window to fit other, to other events in the schedule. So yeah, it's definitely been difficult. But I knew when I turned pro that I always wanted to keep my status on the LET because that's where I started and that was my first introduction to professional golf. So yeah, just being, whether it's something as small as playing the Indian Open every year as an amateur or just being able to play in different countries, different courses around the world, I just knew I wanted to play and keep my LET card always, you know, irrespective. So yeah, it's been difficult, especially the last few years where the LET has grown a lot and they have so many more events. So that's great for the tour and I'm really happy with you know, purse increases and the number of events being, you know, more than in the last few years. But it's definitely difficult to fit it in, especially with the LPGA playing week after week in the summer. I was going to say that's a decision that you're going to have to make for 2023. Because <laughs> obviously, as we mentioned at the start, you've had such a good start to the season. Your first early three LET events, you got the win in Kenya, you came third in Morocco, and then you came second at the Morocco Saudi Ladies International and to sit at the top of the race across Del Sol. So yeah, how do you balance that going forward? Because you will know that, that, for example, the co-sanctioned events in the summer, you will be able to get into those on the LET side. So I'm sure that helps with your scheduling for kind of a little bit of the rest of the year. Yes, definitely. I think those, those events are always on my... As a player who's playing on both tours, those are always on my radar. I'm trying to play and make sure I get into all four of them and try and play well in all four of them. So yeah, it's good to be exempt into, I don't know if I'm exempt into all four, but yeah, it's good to know that that's taken care of. But yeah, now I'm trying to think of what other LET events I can fit in my in my schedule. If I make it to, I've always played the Costa del Sol, the final event of the year, if I've made it. So obviously that's not, something I'm even thinking that's pretty obvious that I would want to play that one and I'd love to play in India but yeah it's definitely a challenge looking at the year differently because I was a month or two ago I wasn't thinking about how many LET events because I didn't even have a good enough status to play or get into any so now I'm happy that I have that that winner's exemption again and that I can 
pick and choose and hopefully I can play play more on the LED this year than I did last year. I was going to say, getting, obviously, changing categories and moving up exemptions just gives you a little bit more flexibility. And as you say, you're definitely able to pick and choose <laughs> in the way that you want to. You can adapt your schedule as you need it to. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, I think that's one of the interesting things about pro golf. You know, stuff changes so fast because my first year I had a, I had two wins and then even my second year I won. So I had a winner's exemption for two years and then a couple of years later, I'm suddenly outside the top 100 on the LET and now I didn't have any status. So it's just interesting how that stuff, it's not because obviously I haven't played much on the LET last year, but it's still, it's still a challenge, you know, having, having to like match up your game and your schedule or practice your workouts and then trying to make sure they work in, in a way that you get results when you want them. Although golf isn't a game which usually gives you that, but we, I guess we try. <laughs> and you've mentioned over the past uh, couple of months at the start of this year, the fact that you've tried to get back to, you know, how strong you were before COVID and get back to work. The, the fact that COVID kind of made a slight difference on your practice and your training. Um, talk me through that. And yeah, like you said so many times that you, you feel kind of close to where you were pre-COVID and it's clearly paying off because the start to the year has been great. Yeah, definitely. I think it all started when I had um, I had COVID in the middle of 2021, so for about two months. And that was, I think, even though it was 21, it was just a year after we had, had learned about COVID. And even in India, we didn't have much knowledge about it. So for, for a month and a half, I mean, I was sick for just like a week or two, but nothing too crazy. But I think a month and a half of lockdown as well, because in India we had the mandatory quarantine and I had to, you know, get tested before I could get back out and play. So with all of that, it ended up taking like more than a month and a half to get back on tour and just sitting here and not being able to go to the gym or swing a golf club for, for that long. I think that took a toll. I think it's a combination of that and falling sick and then eventually when I went back and I got the vaccine and that initial fatigue from getting the vaccine and that getting rebuilding that strength. After that middle of 2021, I think that's when I noticed my strength level or swing speed, whatever you want to call it, dropped drastically and I was kind of playing with it. I just thought like how I felt sick, you know, it would come back eventually, but 21 was you know, a tough year because I had missed so many events in the in that couple months. I ended up playing like 13, 13 events in like 15 weeks and I was just playing too much. So even though I was I knew I was hitting it short, I kind of attributed it to the full schedule that I was playing. And I told myself that I'm probably tired because of the extra events. But I think last year I was expecting to be a lot better with the gym work and everything. But it didn't really happen and that's what got me a little not worried but I was just I guess disappointed that I wasn't hitting as far as I was a year ago so after 2022 which again was I think my worst year as a professional golfer results wise I think I sat back and decided that you know I wasn't gonna be able to play with hitting it just two zero two two ten of the tee and so that's when I tried to I guess, change my approach to practice and fitness and everything and try and figure out ways to hit the ball further. And what were some of those ways that you were kind of working out? 
how to get some of your distance back? It's a combination of things. I think I last year I started, you know, I figured that I was losing a lot of weight while traveling, probably because I wasn't eating well or maybe not eating what I was used to eating. So just trying to eat better firstly, because I think I lost like five or six kilos last year, which is too, I think it's too much for an athlete to lose that much weight in just a few months. But yeah, so trying to eat better and eat, eat healthier and not lose as much weight and then just focus on more like swing related stuff. I mean, I was always strong and yeah, my, my goal has always been to remain injury free. And I think that's going to be my goal throughout my career. But I think I just focus more on getting my body to move faster in the gym and not just with weight training, but doing specific speed related stuff with medicine balls or whatever it was that I was doing. And then I started speed training with uh, speed sticks as well. It's just a bunch of things. I can't really say one thing did did the work, but and I worked on my golf swing a little bit, too, to try and figure out <laughs> try and figure out ways to get get my body to move faster especially with the driver. And I think the thing which made the biggest difference was hitting a lot of drives because as a kid, even as a kid, I didn't enjoy practicing on the range much. And I also, um, I didn't actually get to use a driver till the age of like maybe 11 or 12 because the driver and the three would go the same yardage. And at the time my coach said, you don't need to use a driver because they go the same. But I think in hindsight, I never really learned how to, how to hit a driver. And so I spent a lot of time this off season hitting a bunch of drives, not really focusing on where they were going, but just trying to swing it as fast as I could and hitting, I think I've hit more drives in the past two, three months than I've probably hit throughout my career, it feels like, but probably not. But at least compared to the last five, six years as a professional, the last two months, I guess my focus was only on driving. That makes sense. And kind of, how did your mental aspects of your game cope within this? Because obviously, as you say, you noticed that there was a problem and you've now obviously <laughs> to put things in place to fix it. But how do you cope with that mentally when you know that it's not quite clicking how you want to? Yeah, it's definitely hard. I think uh, after two months of work, I was not really, I guess I was more relaxed while playing golf because I knew I'd put in the work and I could see that from, I used to hit it 2.30, carry and then I went to like 205 210 in a couple of years because of COVID and everything so I, I knew I was already back to 230 or maybe even a little more so I was you know happy with that improvement in my game and I guess that added to the mindset of being comfortable these last first three events on the LET but playing last year I think was really tough because even the first first few events of the year I knew I was hitting it short I could see it and Sometimes when that happens through the end of the year, it's easy to write it off because you know you might be tired from travel or tired from not putting in as much gym gym work than you normally do. But last year, having it, having it all be that bad in the beginning of the year, although I started off okay and I had some good finishes here and there, but really nothing, nothing spectacular. And it wasn't because I wasn't trying, but it was just I knew that I wasn't hitting as far and I had to compete with every year the tour gets better so it's it's not even competing with the level you know but it's the level is already going to be going to be better and you have to compete with with them with your game being worse than you know it was it what it was so yeah that was definitely hard last year and I think I had a couple weeks where 
it kind of showed me that even though I had nothing really going in my game distance wise, I could still, you know, play good golf. Cause I remember making the cut at uh, the women's PGA, which was, I think the, it was, I think it's probably the longest setup I've played. It was playing really, it was playing long and then the greens were really firm and I was hitting these long clubs in. So it's just really difficult for four days. And I've made the cut and finished, I think T40, which is nothing great. But to me, I feel like that was, you know, one of the best weeks of golf I played last year. And I made 16 birdies in a major, which I think thinking back, if I was hitting, if I was hitting the ball 210, making 16 birdies over four days, it feels like a mammoth achievement for me. And then even playing and finishing fourth in the Indian Open was a great finish for me because I knew my game was at that point, I I traveled and played so many weeks in a row. I was really exhausted, but I could still finish fourth. That means I was still, maybe it wasn't a win, but in my head, I thought, you know, you're still a good golfer. Maybe it's just an off season that you need to bring back the speed and, you know, the driving distance. And it definitely worked for you. Yeah, <laughs> having, I hope. Having that break <laughs> and changing it. Um, but we'll, we're going to talk now about something which you have mentioned previously, but your Olympic experience. So obviously you've been to the Olympics twice. As you said, the first time in Rio, and then you went to the postponed games in 2021 in Tokyo. Uh, talk me through the first experience of the Olympics, going to Rio, and you know, representing India at on that stage for the first time. Yeah, I think I heard about golf being in the Olympics when I was 14. So in 2012, that's when I heard about it. Or yeah, 2012, and. As soon as I heard that golf was going to be a part of it, I knew that I wanted to be, you know, part of that field because the Olympics, it just sounded so grand. And in even in India, it's considered the pinnacle of sporting achievements and just being part of that. I, that was my goal. And so the, we figure me and my mom actually did a lot of research. She's she basically, you know, read up on the qualification criteria and figured out how I could possibly get there. And so we checked first thing we did was i think check my world ranking and luckily i was on the world rankings because i had finished top 10 in the indian open so that was you know i guess in hindsight it was just i don't know if it was luck or it was just destiny or whatever but it was good that i had a good weekend that i was already on the rolex so then uh our goal became to play professional events so that i could get a better ranking to be able to qualify but when i started riding to professional events to get that get an invite or get a st- get some kind of opportunity. A lot of them didn't really know who I was. I was just, you know, a random kid from India. And yes, I'd finished top 10 in my home, home open, which was, you know, a professional LDT event, but I wasn't really a well-known amateur. And the professional body in India obviously takes care of professionals, but, you know, I was just a junior. So at the time they wouldn't, they weren't able to help me because obviously they deal with the professionals playing golf. And our amateur body as well used to send us for amateur tournaments, you know, the, the big ones like the World Am or the Asia Pacific Am, but they would they couldn't help send me to professional events because again, that was not part of their scope. They would just take us for international team events and stuff. So it became like an individual effort that we had to, that me and my parents had to make and they actually, you know, they spent, you know, they spent a lot of their time, effort, money, everything in making sure I got to play in big events like British girls, British, um, British ladies stroke play, 
I mean, so many European am. The European am is actually just for Europeans, but I, I, I wanted a place so badly. We wrote to them and they said, okay, this year we'll call it the International European am. So just so I could be part of the field. So I played in all those big events, played, I think I won a few, played in Thailand am, just so many, just so I could improve my world amateur ranking so that when I wrote for sponsor invites, the events would, I guess, would have heard about me and would have thought that, okay, here's, you know, a well-known amateur and we have to give her an invite. So it became kind of like a roundabout process of having to improve my world ranking on the amateur side and then become a well-known amateur. And then I got invites to like the Sanya and the Omega Dubai and a bunch of others. So yeah, it was definitely, and doing all this while I was in like high school, which was pretty crazy as well. So yeah, I was missing school, doing all of this, trying to get there. And then eventually I made it, which was, you know, the icing on the cake. I think I was the youngest golf Olympian. I, I'm not sure. I think I was, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think you were in Rio. And what was the experience like, obviously, being there, seeing all these people? As you said, you're, you're playing on the LET that year, but seeing stars from the LPGA and people that you probably looked up to for a long time. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was a great experience, I think. Just being part of that field and just seeing the magnitude of that event, not just the golf part, but even how many other disciplines, how many other athletes, you know, were at that event and staying at the village. And I think it was, it was something that you can't really experience anywhere else. And I think it's, it's something I'd never thought I would get to experience, but I did. So yeah, I'm really grateful that I got to do that when I was 18 and it only motivated me so much more for the next Olympics. And yeah, I think just being in that field and the flurry of excitement representing India and all of that even carried me through the first two days because I was so high on, I guess, excitement, adrenaline, whatever you call it. I was, I think, leading at some point in the second round. I was, or I was like top three after two days, which was real, really crazy thinking back, you know, just because uh, at the time I was just an 18 year old that hadn't played on any tour. I had just turned pro. I'd actually just finished my high school exam, so I hadn't even played that much professional golf yet. So yeah, that was pretty cool being part of that field and having that brief, I guess you could call it flash of lightning where I was playing good, but yeah, I eventually didn't finish off the week great, but still a great experience for me. And then, as you said, you played the Olympics again five years later this time instead of the usual four. Um, but this time you stayed up there for pretty much the whole week. <laughs> the, the, the people who had seen you before in Rio, as you said, you had that little flash where suddenly everyone at home knew who you were, you, you were because of that. And then in Tokyo, that went even crazier. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure your social media that week was, um, I don't know if you even looked at your phone, because I'm sure the amount of notifications you were getting was absolutely ridiculous. Yes, it was. Yes, I think that was, yeah, even, the, I know, I kind of expected it um, in the, in Japan because I was, I played a good round the first day and I was basically in the top three, four the whole the whole time. So kind of expected the social media stuff there but the first time I remember I had barely like 700 followers and then I was leading after two days and I got I think like 15k or 20k or something just overnight so that was I think pretty pretty cool to see because you know that stuff happens when you're from a country like India with so many people 
And how did the Tokyo experience compare? As you say, you've been a pro for five more years compared to the before. Um, your short your short game of putting was still something that stood out, obviously, on those four days. But yeah, what, what was the difference? Like, how did you feel as a golfer heading into that second event? So, yeah, as a golfer, actually, that was just, I think, six weeks, five or six weeks after I'd, I had COVID and I, I got back on tour. So I think I just played four or five events before that. And then I was in Japan. So game-wise, I actually wasn't feeling that great because I knew I had the mindset to play good and that I was fresh because I hadn't played in a couple of months. So I was excited. I was thinking good. You know, I was able to do all the right things, but my my I guess my driving distance was the worst around that time. The the all the golf I played in twenty twenty one actually was with I guess the weakest physical ability that I've had. So yeah, I was a bit bummed from the beginning of the week that I was at such a big event and something out of my control. You know, getting COVID had just happened two months before. So I tried to put all of that out of my mind and just took it easy. And honestly, I was just trying to enjoy myself. I can't, I, I don't, I think I'd be lying if I said that I was going to win a medal that week or that's what, that was my goal. That's what I was trying because I was just physically exhausted, just getting back into, into golf and two months of no practice because of lockdown and two months of no gym work. I guess it was the most unprepared I could have been because apart from the few three or four events I played before that I had no, no muscle memory, you can say. So yeah, I was, I just took that week as, you know, I've worked hard obviously four years trying to play in all the all the events that you know I played in and I won a few and I played on the LPGA finished top 10 a bunch of times so I was just you know trying to soak up the experience and saying okay I had a good finish on the LPGA a couple of weeks before so just trying to lean on that and think that even though maybe your distance isn't where you want it your game is still there and just try, try to play to the best of my abilities but I think when I got there I, I really liked the golf course and it was it was in pristine condition, which, you know, only makes it makes you feel better while you play. And the greens were just amazing, you know, the fastest. And so I guess I've, I've never seen greens like that where there were barely any pitch marks because the course was just I think the members said they didn't want to play for three months before that because they wanted to give us the course in such great shape. So, yeah, I think it was just an amazing golf course. And I just fell in love with the course and eventually just plotted my way around it and had four good days and obviously my putting that week was lights out and I think I read that I finished with like 13 or 14 strokes gained putting which is I think unheard of in like four rounds of golf which is yeah that was a really good week putting for me and I think that made the difference but yeah it was it was just I guess a few of the things going in my favor that I like the golf course that the greens were, you know, fast because I like that too. And the weather was also a bit of a challenge, but I guess I was used to the really hot weather. So that didn't bother me much either. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned previously, obviously, the support of your parents, your mom and dad, in terms of trying to get you to the Olympics. But obviously, you have each, you've had each of them on the bag before. Uh, your dad's been on the bag with you in 2023, but your mom was been on the bag with you at the Olympics before so they've all <laughs> they've both contributed what's it like having them and the support of them and having them with you during the round of golf yeah it's yeah I think the first Olympics when my dad carried for me we I think I knew it was such a cool experience that was immediately when I decided that if I got into the next one I wanted my mom to carry for me and she actually trained pretty hard too to get 
to be able to get at that level where she could ca carry my bag for what six days seven days without you know any issues so yeah it, it was it was a lot of fun and I'm just glad that I was able to play that good too you know it wasn't like I don't think I've enjoyed having both of them caddy for me throughout my career and I don't think it affects me either way but yeah I was just I was happy that I could put up a good finish at the Olympics with my mom in the bag. And how important have they been to you throughout your career and the fact that they've been by your side and obviously travel with you? Yeah, definitely. I think, especially being away from home so many weeks a year, I think you you end up missing home a lot more. And sometimes having a family member makes so much difference because it's just your home doesn't feel that far away. And just small things like, you know, driving or laundry or having dinner, just simple things which would ordinarily be boring or a chore. It's just you know, it's easier to do it with someone traveling with you. And yeah, I'm lucky I've had my parents' support throughout my career. And now, yes, I'm a professional and sometimes one of them caddy for me and it, that's all fine. But I think the support I had from them throughout my amateur career, because a lot of stuff they did was, you know, they didn't, they didn't really have to do it, but they did because I think they saw my potential. And I think that made all the difference because some of that stuff is what, kids these days don't get and growing up in a country like India if you don't get that exposure or that international competitive experience sometimes you can you might be a great golfer but sometimes you get left behind so I think that's one thing looking back that I'm you know extremely grateful for because they gave me all that experience when I was throughout my school years so you know when I was 18 I still felt like I knew I could turn pro on the LET which I wouldn't have had if not for all their you know all their support of course and then the final couple of questions before we get on to the quiz uh, <laughs> so what are your ambitions for the rest of the 2023 season have you set any kind of goals expectations for the rest of the year um my goal has always been to you know play better at the majors and obviously win on the lpga i haven't done either of that in the past few years although i feel like i'm getting closer i think each year you learn a lot more about your game or about how you can get better as a golfer. So I'm trying to do that and hopefully trying to peak at, you know, a few, few more weeks in the year where I can get a chance at winning on the LPGA. So that's my goal. But yeah, with the start on the LET, I think it's hard to ignore the, you know, race to Costa del Sol. Obviously that wasn't an active focus in my mind, but I guess you can say it is kind of now. So I'm going to try and play as much in, on the LET as well and try to, maybe get stay on the top of that ranking as much as I can because I know there's so many more events that I may not play in so it's going to be hard to stay up there but I'm going to do my best. Of course great to hear from our side and uh, any goals for the future so in what's left as you've got many years ahead of you in the, the world of golf but are there any ambitions that you still want to tick off like obviously the next Olympics is only not even that far away now I, I'm guessing I'm guessing you'd want to be there again yes definitely I think golf being part of it has I've, I've seen it firsthand how big it's made golf in India and I think just that awareness of the sport increasing in a country like India which normally wouldn't do if golf wasn't in the Olympics so just being able to be part of that and hopefully my finishes at that big event you know the first one where I was leading for a couple of days and then I finished fourth the last time. I've just seen the effect it's had. So hopefully I I can be back there again and do something great so that, you know, more people and more kids want to learn about golf and maybe start playing golf too. So 
it's quiz time. Um, as a, as every week on the LEC Golf Podcast, we give each player a little quiz about their career, um, some stats. So <laughs> we'll we'll see how you get on. It's only five questions, so should be easy enough. First one: You have had a hole in one on the LET. Where did that happen, and when did that happen? Uh, that happened at Jabra last year. I think it was hole eight. Yeah, at Evian. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And talk me through that. Well, obviously that was the first one ever on the LET. But had you ever done one before? Uh, yeah, I'd had one. No, not as a professional. So one hole in one as an amateur. So I've had one in practice here in uh, back home. One as an amateur where I didn't see the ball go in, and and one here at Jabra where again I didn't see the ball go in. I just made a you know great swing with I think it was a seven iron, but probably one of the best swings I made last year. But yeah, that was just it was it's cool because you know you play I played that Evian there so many years and I haven't played you know the best golf there, so it was great to finally get a good memory in that golf course. And uh, you mentioned before that obviously your lowest round as a professional was at LETQ school with a 62. But apart from that, what is your lowest round in an LET normal tournament? Do you know? Oh, that's tough one. Is it a 64? 64. You've done it twice. Can you remember where? I know 64 in Dubai once. Yes. I don't remember the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 64 at the Omega in Dubai in 2020. And then you also did a 64 at the Didrikson Skafta Open in 2021 in the second round. Oh, okay. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, after you'd come back from the Olympics. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was the first week Yeah, after the Olympics. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So on the LET, how many birdies have you made consecutively in one round? Oh, I want to say four. It's one more. It's five. Have I made five? I didn't, <laughs> but you, I didn't think I've made five you, in a row. Yeah. You said you've made five at the Women's NSW Open in 2020. Oh, wow. I totally so. forgot about that. Oh, that was actually one of my goals because every time I'm playing and I make one or two birdies, sometimes I feel like mentally I hit the brakes a little bit, get defensive. So I always tell myself, you know, you've made four birdies in a row. So I try and motivate myself with that or try and try to make five. But now that you told me I made five in a row, now the, the next time I'm going to have to think do of six. six. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was on holes 12 to 16 in the third round of that event. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely think, think of six next time, not okay. five. <laughs> um, Aditi, you were the first Indian to win on the LET, obviously winning your home open and now having two further titles after that. But who is the other Indian golfer to win on the LET? Uh, Diksha, right? Diksha in, was it South Africa? Yeah. Yep. Yes, it was. Yeah. South Africa I think she's, she's, she beat me and she's youngest too now, I think. Yes, correct. She beat, she beat you in terms of age by a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was cool. <laughs> and then another age kind of related question. As you said, you were the youngest golfer at the Rio Olympics. But do you know who was the youngest golfer at the Tokyo Olympics? I 
don't know. I feel I feel like I know a lot of people around my age who could who could have been younger than me by like a bit. I don't know. Was it? I don't know if Nasa Hatoka was younger than me. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, Pia Babnik. Oh yes. Yeah, I should have got that one. <laughs> she was only seventeen at the time that, uh, when that happened. Um, but yeah, very well done. Good effort on the quiz. As I said, only one out on the birdies and only got that one wrong for the rest of it. The rest of it is okay. Cool. <laughs> Three out of five. Thanks for coming on the LET Golf Podcast and we'll see you in the rest of the season. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. It was, this was fun. Thanks for having me. So there we have it. And what a journey it's been for Aditi so far. She continues to make a name for herself on the world stage and on the LET. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the LET Golf Podcast. If you did, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Music or whichever platform you're streaming from. And remember to follow us on the socials at LET Golf. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week, guys. It's a competition clinching shot. The LET Golf Podcast, the official podcast of the Ladies European Tour.